The scripture from this morning comes from Exodus 20, chapter 1st through 6th verse, Deuteronomy 4th chapter and 39th verse, uh, Deuteronomy 6th chapter, 4th and 5th verse. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You should have no other gods before me. You should not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but show steadfast love to the thousands of them who love me and keep my commandments. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and the earth beneath. There is no other. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Amen. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, as we continue um, in this new sermon series, Explicit Lyrics of the Faith, I want to thank Paul for preaching. Um, from what I heard was an excellent sermon. Good job, Paul. I almost just stayed in the low country. Seem y'all got a handle on things up here. I can go ahead and retire and just fish and shrimp and crab. Um, but uh, God said, no, I'm back. So um, <clears throat> it was an excellent sermon, obviously, about God creating the earth as opposed to any other impersonal force or biological miracle. Amen. Well, today's explicit lyric of the faith is no less controversial. The belief that our God is the only God. That our God is the only God. Which means we believe that first, our God is one God. Secondly, that our God is God alone. And that finally, our God alone should be worshipped as God. Again, for those of you who want to know my three points... Our God is one God, our God alone is God, and finally, our God alone should be worshipped as God. Our passage from Exodus, in its first two verses, which, uh, if you didn't know, are like uh, the preamble to the Ten Commandments that follow in that chapter, says this in your reading. And the and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then in the book of Deuteronomy, um, which is like the, this is how you live out your Ten Commandments, define relationship with God in everyday living. That's what that book is about. In our passage from chapter 6, verse 4, it says this. Hear, O Israel, 
the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And what these passages are teaching us, especially the Deuteronomy passage, by saying God is one, is that the God revealed to his people as Jehovah is God. That the God of the Bible who delivered the Israelites from Egypt, the God who's spoken about in this story from not only Genesis to Exodus, but now Genesis to Revelation, that that God is the one who is God, the creator God, period. That there is not a God in general who is creator God, and then there's the God of the Bible. This being, the being we would consider God, is the God of the Bible revealed to us. He is one and the same. He is one God. But this leads us to the next point here. If the God, Jehovah God, the Lord of the Jews, we see in the Bible claims to be one and the same God with God, period, then that must also mean that our God, That God of the Bible, the God of believers, is the God of all. That's in large part with this Deuteronomy passage we just read is encouraging us to know and believe. That look here, Israel, here, Israel, look here, believers today. The God whom you worship and read about in this Bible is claiming to be and is and always has been not just the God of you, but of all. Which means he's the God of everyone and everything. And there is nothing and no one that he is not God of and Lord of. He is not only the one for you and me, but he is the one and only God over any and everyone who has ever lived and will live on this earth. And this is where things get sticky and greasy, right? Because it is clear what the Bible is teaching and it's calling believers to believe and live out and tell and teach and share with the world. That this is not just a personal God. Good for you, right? Everyone has their own beautiful situational belief in their God. Get this clear and straight here. This is what we believe to be true. This is what the Bible is teaching. Our God is not Lord just because we say so or believe so or had a religious experience. He is Lord because he is God, whether you believe me or believe in him or not, which means he is not only my God, but your God and his God and her God and their God, the God, whether they have a believing relationship with him or not or believe in another God or not. We believe and are saying that our God is the one and only God for everyone, no exceptions. So the question is not whether he exists or whether he's told us who he is, but whether the world and you and me having heard has believed and received this Lord, the true God, the one God, the only God, the God of all things, the creator God, the all-knowing, all-powerful, self-existent, right? Immutable, holy, self-counseling, self-aware, ever and always existent from eternity, past and future, revealed to us in the Bible, one and only God. But we will try Because we are natural born enemies to the knowledge of God. That's another explicit lyric not to be covered here. Just just go with it today. 
But we will purposefully, right, inadvertently sometimes, naturally, either squeeze God out, right, to make him not so God-like. Especially when you talk to people. You, you just don't want your God to be so God, right? It's so ironic, you know. We don't want him to be so dominant, you know. It kind of kills the conversation, doesn't it? What do you believe? I believe in God. Really? What do you believe about your God? He's the only God. Conversation over. Great. God, why do you have to be so God? Can't you be a little less God, right? If he's a little less God, then he's not God. But we naturally want to try to make room for him, right? We want to squeeze him out. We want him to scoot a little bit over in his seat, right? Make some room, God. Clear it out. Give some room for some other thoughts, for some other things, right? Just beside, as Exodus tells us not to do, just besides or just below him. And when I say just below him, what are we talking about? We're not talking about, we're not, you know, in our minds, we're all complicated. We're not trying to replace our God. But when we take the picture, right, there's just a little piece left for somebody else in the shot. Here's the picture of God. And there's just a little piece of somebody or something else. God, you understand. You most of the picture. Aren't you happy? You're most of the picture in our heart, in our mind, in our lives. You take up 99.9% of the God in our life, and God says, no, 0.1% is everything to me. And it is easy to think, couldn't there be different thoughts that make God who he is? I mean, there are so many awesome things in the world that we experience and see that are simply excellent and delicious and spiritually lifting and awesomely mysterious, right? Wise and sensible and and logical and fitting and setting and great and good and moral and simply divine-like. There is so much, I admit, without the God of the Bible's name or rules on it, or all the right and wrong that seem like they should, that, 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 that seem like they too should get a piece, right, of this God-like honor, love, like, and respect. And God, the one and only God, your God says, no way. I alone, right, am God, and everything and anything else is no God. There are really and truly no other gods or God-level divine humanity lifting hope outside of him being the only God over it and defining it. Look at the passage in Deuteronomy with me, verse chapter 4. It says, Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. And then look at the verse 3 in Exodus. You shall have what? No other gods before me. Okay. There it is. I think Deuteronomy makes it the clearest, right? Because when he says in heaven and earth, it means there is no place that you can know or imagine nowhere and no way. Just no. Right? We don't like to hear that word. No. No. 
Nothing else, right? But the Bible, the God of the Bible who is God says there are no other gods but him. He is saying that nothing and no one and no being is in his category. Which means all other so-called and called and treated, not just called, and treated gods or godlike things are Marvel comic-like fantastic aberrations of a human heart and mind that have lost their way. God is, and he can't be a God some kind of indefinite article that makes room for a comma or parentheses of something else. He's not a God and there can be no other gods because God is not created. There's no like manufacturing God plant. We manufacture, right? We recreate. We recreate. God is not part of our recreational reality. He lives above that. He is not manufactured. He's revealed. That's different. You see, these, these scriptures are, hey, guys, I'm God. Hello. Y'all didn't make me up. Y'all didn't one day say a prayer and pop out of the ground I came. You didn't conjure me. You didn't think it was a good idea to have a God. I revealed myself to you. And there is a big difference. God did not come from the mind or heart of human beings. He revealed himself and then had to tell them and now tells us that what and who you are seeing, hearing, and reading about, and experiencing is me, God. And this is how you should deal with and be my people and live on this earth and have me as God. Which means everything else. And nothing else is God or should be treated like a God. The rest of these so-called deities out there, billions of them. You can't even keep up with that. That's just stupid. A billion? Your prayer life going to end. You're going to die before your prayer life is over. And apparently these billion gods don't all get along. There ain't enough. You know we created something that dumb. <laughs> A billion conflicting gods. That ain't gods. That's a soap opera. That's a drama. We like drama, right? We went and saw the, um, saw the Avengers. Like, they like gods. Thor is supposed to be a god. But they got to a point where they weren't getting along. At that point, I'm like, that ain't God. Those just sinful superhumans. The gods you read about, mythological gods and all that, and Percy Jackson, all them people, like, listen, y'all. Those are just hyperboles of our personalities. 
God is the only one who comes with the relationship with a unique personality outside of ours. And we only bear similarities because he tells us we're made in his image and likeness. We are a reflection of something we could not possibly have created or controlled. I don't want to get all philosophical on y'all. But look, man, we can. (laughs) Just kidding. The rest of these so-called deities out there that have been ever, you know, that have ever been are as much God as high fructose corn syrup as sugar. Might be sweeter and even more immediately potent, easily produced and cheap, but does not make it any more real. So God says this in Exodus 20, verse 3 through 6. Read with me. I mean, just listen. Don't read with me. We, not, we don't do that. Sorry. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is heaven above, in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. He is saying that we should not trick ourselves out by making something that is not a God a God, right? He's not saying you can't do sculpting. They went through that through the Protestant Reformation. There is a time in the history of the church where you couldn't draw anything unless it was some kind of holy picture. It had to be a picture of Mary, Joseph, Jesus. Be careful drawing the lambs. If you drew a lamb, then the lamb in the picture had to be looking at Jesus with kind of worshipful look. But you could be excommunicated from the church because you drew a picture of a tree. Now you could draw a tree as long as Jesus was swinging on a swing on that tree or something like that. God hanging in the hammock. I don't know, but it had to be spiritual. This is not what the scripture is saying. It's not saying you can't draw realistic pictures of of things that God has created. It says you can't draw or shape them so that you can worship them. You can't draw a graven image. You can't create something in your mind and, and, and make it and say this is something to be worshipped. You shouldn't create something that drives you or is above you, right? You, can't, you, you shouldn't create something and then lay down to it, right? And, and say this is the thing I follow and live by. But unfortunately, we do it every day. In our minds, if not in our hands, we, we create these images and idols and things we follow and our philosophies of thinking. That's why I read the whole thing about following his commandments, because his commandments are a reflection of his character that he intends for us to follow. But for you to shape any commandments, right, or any kind of philosophies or any kind of moral thinking outside of him is to actually exercise idol shaping. Something to love, right? He's saying that that we should not trick ourselves. But think about what he is saying. He is saying that those false gods in your mind are carved out of our nature that are not gods at all, are not really affecting or working for you. So guess what? Things will go well or not well for you. Remember he talked about visiting the generation for the third and fourth, right? Not because the small g God has done good or wrong. But when you do right or wrong, the real living God will act or not act with jealousy and anger or mercy and love. 
which can get tricky because God, the only one God can and has according to what I read in scripture, right? In the Bible, be so jealous about being the only God may let just enough good happen with you and your pretend God and your pretend way of living that the way you want to imagine that you will actually begin to think that your God or your way of living is God, that is no God, actually is working for you. All the time, it was the real God letting you go reprobate, right? Letting you suffer being a fool who follows something that is nothing. So things working out. Hey, I love my life. I don't have God and it is going great. Think about what that really means if the way you're living is no God and not godly, right? So things working and working out for you is no indication that your God or way of living is real, that our God is not God. It just means that our God is really jealous about being ignored as God. Bottom line, there are no other gods. They are nothing. What you've come up to live your life with is nothing. Well, well, not completely nothing. They're worse than nothing. Because what this passage teaches is that idolatry, that's worshiping anything that isn't God or not worshiping our God like he is God, are a manifestation of your and my disobedience and God's jealousy and hatred of, not, of the not God and non-God place in our lives. But that is not a God or a religion, right? Hear this. What you are enjoying and experiencing outside of a belief in the God of the Bible being God is actually the result and backwash of a bad relationship with the one and true God. I don't have a relationship with God. Yes, you do, because he's God. And there ain't no other God. So what kind of, let me ask you a question. What kind of relationship are you having with God? Because you're having one right now. Because the things you think you have in a relationship with that represent you, that represent love and joy and peace and all the things God offers you, you know, those kind of things, those are, you are not actually having a relationship with those things. You are exercising disobedience in relationship with the Lord who actually is your God. Any other religion without the God of the Bible has got a simply an illegitimate, empty affair that imagines fantasy with the inanimate and untrue and yet is truly experiencing the angry jealousy of the true God. Look at the Exodus passage again. Let's, let's read through the whole thing again, but focusing on the last two verses this time. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself for yourself rather a carved image or any likeness of anything that is, that is in heaven or that is in the earth beneath or that is the, in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children. The, pay attention to these verses. To the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. That's ignore me, right? Or don't treat me as God or don't accept me as God. But showing steadfast love 
to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. I was reading a cheesy article, right, about, um, oh, wait, wait. Okay, let me read the Deuteronomy first, because this is good, too. All right. Deuteronomy 6, that chapter. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Okay. Now back to the cheesy article I read. About stereotypical difference and questions asked by men and women when there has been an affair, right, in a marriage or relationship. This is what it said. Men want to know first what? Did you sleep with him? And women want to know first what? Do you love her? Men want to primarily know what did you do? And women, where's your heart? God asks both. He demands as the one and only to be our one and only. For everything to be done in our affirmation of him as the one and only God. That we are moved and then moved for him in all things. Like we love and believe what is already true. That he, our God, is our God. And Lord, he wants us to live and read and analyze his life through the lenses of his being God. And, and what he says and tells us, letting nothing else gain our affections and bodies and feelings and focus more or above or besides him. As God, he wants us to love and live like he is our irreplaceable and first and always only God should be loved in this world by us as God. <laughs> the non-God gods, whether it's science, food, art, music, friends, peace, just getting along, right? Love, let me throw one out, social justice, money, success, being tolerant, being happy, Nature, sex, having a romantic relationship, pleasure, whatever it might be. And whatever object or system or practice or behavior or mechanism you have created to make it happen. These things are to be enjoyed as things that we don't actually love. Because they don't and can't really love us back. Unless the one and only God who gives all things life and love loves us through them. What are you loving that really can't love you back? I'm not talking about relationships with people that really, you know, you have. I'm talking about being in love with having a relationship. <laughs> having a relationship. Longing for something other than God to make you happy. That can't actually love you back. That is nothing. That is no God. God says, don't love them. Love me. Look at the Exodus passage again, verse. Well, I'm not going to read it again. The, that God's going to visit the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. And to the thousands of those who love and obey him. It can be easy to read this passage as if God is like a raging, mad, insecure, stalking, stalking creepy boyfriend. That pops up at every wedding in your family to the third and fourth generation because you broke up with him. You rejected him. That would be a creepy boyfriend, a girlfriend. Here's a family wedding. It's cousin so-and-so. Here they come. Hey, I'm supposed to be in this family too. 
What's going on? I'm about to mess it up in here. I'm going to dance with the bride first. I'm going to do what I want to do. If it's a woman, she's going to come into the thing wearing white. Her gown going to be better than the bride's. I'm supposed to be. Yeah. That's what it looks like. God's just this creepy, stalking God. But basically, yeah, he's going to keep showing up. Every time you try to leave him out of this life in this world, God is going to stalk you. He's going to hate on your setup. He's going to hate on your relationships and idols that come between you and him. Because truly, you're his. And he's your God. And he don't like nobody else or nothing else being celebrated or appreciated in replacement of him. Third and fourth generation, God stalking you with his knowledge, with his jealousy. That's a God-like jealousy. That's kind of different. You can put a restraining order on some fools, but you can't put a restraining order on God. And though he should be intolerant by us making anything else God that is not God besides him, understand something as I move on from this stalking image. And I apologize to you who've really experienced stalking. I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm just trying to make a point. His jealousy is not primarily about his desire to be God. You know why? Because God is self-secure. <laughs> and he knows he's God. He's not in it for himself. Do you remember what this passage started with? You are the people I brought out of Egypt. But jealous is, he's not jealous for himself, but is jealous to believe as our one and only God for our good. His, I am the one and only God jealousy so you and I can have a relationship with him that will be focused, undisturbed, faithful, and clearly communicate his love and mercy with us. And God is so jealous, so amped to love us with his one and only divine love to have us experience his one and only God mercy and grace that he truly might disturb and keep bugging us with his, I am God and you, and that is not for three and four generations, making it hard and punishing and unfulfilling to live without him. But for the generation, the scripture is saying, for those of us who finally receive this one and only God relationship and live to love him and love to live for him and live for him to love us kind of obedience and worship, look at what it says here. Because sure, for three and four generations, that is our families and lives being cut off from God's love and grace and receiving his anger. But look at what believing, living, and loving and worshiping according to what is true, that our God is the only God will get you. It says he's going to visit a thousand with his love and his mercy in his presence. It is saying that the knowledge and belief in the God of the Bible being God will benefit. God will bless and love, not the third and fourth generation, but to the one thousandth thousandth generation. Can't even say it is so big. 
which means God's jealousy for those who believe in him against anything that would try to take his love and relationship as the only one God for them, he will continue to fight for their hearts and souls and win them to him for generations, almost forever, it's saying. God is going to get to keep his love and name and truth alive for the good of his people for thousands of generations. That, that's how jealous he is for you and me not to be played and tricked into believing something in someone that will not truly love us and care for us and give us a sense of dignity. Someone, somewhere, believed in the God of the Bible as the only God and that knowledge and love of God in and around your family line or somewhere around you in your neighborhood or today will not leave you alone to believe what you want. That's good news. You know why? Our God, who is God, because he is God, will never get snuffed out even by human unbelief. Your unbelief isn't the end of the story. The end of the story is not, the power of the story is not your ability to believe God. But in God's ability to be God in and of himself with a jealousy for you. The knowledge of God to even the worst, most unbelieving and hard-hearted will not be subverted or stop his love for you and for you to love and worship him. Let me let you know, let you in on something because I heard some figures about the rising agnosticism and atheism, atheism and the drop in Christian belief the other day. Oh, the percentages keep dropping. Believers, do not be discouraged. And... You ready? You unbelievers or those in a lull of belief or those who laughing at God or think it's real funny thinking he doesn't exist, don't be encouraged. Don't be discouraged believers and don't be encouraged those who think God's a joke. Because God, but from God, by the figures and stats, God is not dead. And he doesn't die or stop being God because you stop believing. He knows we are getting played and getting less, and he doesn't want that for us. And God, jealous for us to know, to not lose him, jealous for us to know him for our own good and, and the good of this world, went to jealous and zealous extremes to reveal himself to blind people like you and me. He got so jealous to be the Lord our God and God our Lord, that people would see and know and love him as the one and only that the Bible says that as planned, he eventually sent his only begotten son, Jesus. That's God, a very God come in the flesh. His only begotten son, Jesus, came to say and save us, save us so that from every generation from this point until he returns, that we know that God came and we saw him and we felt him and we touched him and we can know him and we beheld him in history. The only God is Lord. With a jealousy so great, 
for the knowledge of him that he came when all else that we trusted in let us down. He suffered. He died. And he rose again to have you and have you be among his one and only people, the one and only God. Our God is the only God. Turn to him. Turn to him again. He is jealous for your peace. He's jealous for your joy. And that word J, jealous, the J could become a Z. He's zealous to have you know him as God to redeem you, to save you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. For your one and only God jealousy. Oh Lord, it is so difficult to live in a world that thinks Having one God is foolishness. Lord, every single person in this room would be a fool if you weren't jealous about being the one and only God. We thank you, Lord, that darkness can never overcome the light. We thank you, God, that unbelief in us and this culture is not the beginning or the end of this story. It is you being God and your ability and power to, and desire to save us. Thank you for Jesus for this reason. I pray for those who don't know you today, who may recognize you exist, but don't have a saving relationship with you. I pray that they return to Christ, the one and only Savior for us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.